I'm curious, how many of y'all know what uh, Coach Pitch Baseball is? Anybody know what Coach Pitch Baseball is? So, a couple of us, a couple of us. In Coach Pitch Baseball, when my son Caleb, he's about six years old, his first year playing baseball, they played, uh, they played what they call Coach Pitch. And in Coach Pitch, the coach is the one who pitches to the boys. So, for example, if I'm the coach and my son is playing on my team, when I'm pitching to my son, I'm not trying to strike him out. All right? I'm not trying to strike him out. Uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give him a pitch that he can hit. That's what I try to do. I try to give him a pitch that he can hit. No, no, that's the way you play it. That's the way you play it. So the other team, their coach is, is pitching to their boys. Your team, your coach is pitching to your boys. And so what it's about, it's about helping the boys learn the game of baseball. Now, okay, I asked you how many of you are familiar with, with Coach Pitch Baseball. How many of you know the game of baseball? Anybody know the game? Okay, okay. So, so you understand that, you know, right here we have home. Okay, there's home. And then right up here we got first base. And then up here is second base. And, and then over here is third. And if you have kids who ever played ball or maybe you've watched a video on YouTube, you've seen all these uh, these videos of where kids, you know, the balls hit, they just take off running anywhere, okay? They, they have a hard time knowing where's first base. Well, what I want to talk to you about real quickly is I want to talk with you about how making disciples is like coach pitch baseball, all right? How making disciples is like coach pitch baseball. So we're, what we're trying to do is we're not trying to strike people out spiritually, all right? That's not our job. Our job is not to, to strike people out. What we want to do is we want to give them a pitch they can hit. Does that make sense? We want to give them a pitch they can hit. So the first thing, and this is what we talked about last Sunday, is we talked about giving people a pitch they can hit. In other words, being a witness for people through your works, how you live. Remember what we said, that, that actions speak louder than words. And so we want to be a witness through our our deeds, but we also want to be a, a witness through our words. And one of the things that we want to be ready to do, and we talked about this last week, is we want to be able, we want to be ready to share the reason for our hope in Christ. We want to be able to tell our hope story, and we want to be able to do that in about a hundred words, okay? In other words, we want to be able to do it in such a way that we could share with another person in one minute. Someone asked you, you know, uh, Matt, I know you go to church a lot and stuff, and, and besides being paid, uh, tell me, why, why, why are you a, a Christian? Why do you go to church? Why are you a Christian? And so what Matt would do is he would share briefly, simply, the reason for his hope. He's not trying to argue anybody into the kingdom of God. He's not trying to do that. All he's doing is just trying to be ready to share a very simple question is, is why do I have a hope in Jesus? Secondly, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is how to move people from first to second. And in moving people from first to second and making disciples, what we want to be able to do is, is if someone asks you today, what must I do to be saved? Okay? Now, you may think, well, how likely is it that that, that happens? Okay? Maybe more likely than you realize. But if someone were to come to you and ask you, how can I become a Christian what would you tell them? And what we want to do is we want to equip ourselves where very, very simply we can tell another person how to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Third thing we want to do in making disciples is making disciples isn't just about leading people to Christ. It's also leading people 
Uh, it's leading people to maturity in Christ. And so the, the next thing, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, is, is, okay, once a person has made that decision, they want to follow Jesus, now what? How do we help them get off and, uh, to a great start and, and on a great start of following Jesus in their daily lives? And I believe one of the most important things that we can do to go on our walk with Jesus is to spend time daily with him. Just think it's that simple. I honestly think that if I'm spending time daily with Jesus, I'm going to go on my walk with Jesus. If I'm just kind of neglecting him or thinking about him from time to time or once a week or once every other week, I'm going to tell you that my growth, my spiritual growth, really, I'm not going to grow as much. And so what we want to do is, is we're going to give you the tools to teach a person who's a brand new Christian how to spend time daily uh, in the Word of God and prayer. And for some of you, if you're not currently doing this, Next week is going to be very, very helpful for you. And then finally, we want to bring people home. And, uh, and, and so the, 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 the next pitch we want to give to people when we are trying to, to be disciple makers, making disciples, we want to be able to share with people our hope story in about a minute. We want to be able to share with people briefly how to become Christians. We want to be able to show a person who's a brand new Christian how to really grow in their walk with Jesus by spending time in the Word and prayer. But finally, we want to teach people about the importance and the priority of being connected in a good church. So all of us understand this. How many of you have ever gone camping? A few of you. How many of you have ever built a campfire? Okay, some of us have. If you take a log out of the fire pit and you, you set it off, just in an area where there's a bunch of dirt and there's no, nothing else that's going to catch fire. You set it off by itself. What happens to that log? Burns out. But you take that same log, you put it back in the middle of the fire, what happens? It catches fire. We need the people of God. We do. We need to follow Jesus in community. In fact, this is the central teaching of much of the New Testament, is that we were meant to follow Jesus, not in isolation, but in, in, in community. And when we are really following Jesus, and so what we're going to teach you how to do and give you the tools for is how to take someone who is a brand new Christian and begin to explain to them why and how they need to be uh, in community with other people who are following Jesus together. So we're going to be doing that. Last week I introduced you to a couple. I want to talk with you about them again real quickly. I introduced you to a couple named Fred and Wilma. How many of y'all remember Fred and Wilma? Okay. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Fred and Wilma, and what I told you about Fred and Wilma is, is um, they, they really don't go to church. They're not like super interested in, in, you know, church and stuff like that. I mean, they kind of believe in God, and they kind of consider themselves to be spiritual people, but, but, but for them, uh, being here on a weekly basis is kind of a foreign idea to them. Uh, but they don't really go to church, but they know people who do. In fact, Fred and Wilma, they know some of you. They do. Fred and Wilma know some of the people who are in this church right now. And this is what's happening in Fred and Wilma's life. That some of these people, some of the people that, they're, uh, that they are encountering and they are living life with who are followers of Jesus are living their life and their walk with Jesus. In fact, some of you, you're living your walk with Jesus in such a way that Fred and Wilma are actually more interested in God. They're more interested in knowing more about Jesus. And part of what's making a difference in Fred and Wilma's life is just simply what they see and they observe in your life. 
When they see you loving and serving people in our community through things like Week of Hope, when they see you loving and serving people in our community through the Fall Festival, when they see how you live your life in your daily encounters, how you encounter disappointment, how you encounter frustration, yeah, you get frustrated sometimes, you feel disappointment. But at the same time, they see in you something in you that says to them, you know, I, I kind of like to have in my life what I'm seeing in them, even though I don't really understand it. And so, uh, so again, Fred and Wilma, they're not interested necessarily in going to church, at least not yet. But what they are seeing in you and what they are seeing in other Christians is something that's attractive. And so the question that I raised for us last week is how can we live in a way that people like Fred and Wilma will want to know more about God and even ask us why we're Christians? That's what we, the question we raised last week. I want to share with you two passages of Scripture here real quickly. One that we looked at last week, another that we are looking at the first time today. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. Paul says this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not timid about it. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I'm not anxious about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, I have a lot of confidence. I have a lot of confidence in the gospel. I have a lot of confidence in what the gospel has done and is doing in my life, and I have a whole lot of confidence in what the gospel can do in your life. Okay? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. Now, what is the gospel? Real quickly. The gospel, the word gospel simply means good news. And it's the good news that Christ, Christ lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. And that God raised him again from the dead three days later. And that through faith in him we can be saved. And so Paul says about this gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the most powerful message in the world today. It is. It, it's more powerful than any tagline for, for some company or whatever. It's more powerful than then what are you going to compare it to? What can do for you? What can do for me? What can do for people in our world that the gospel can't? It is the most powerful message in the world. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. And salvation meaning that we are set free from the penalty of sin or justification. That we are progressively throughout our lives being set free from the power of sin, sanctification. And that one day we're going to be set free from the presence of sin, glorification, when we are with God forever. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, meaning that the gospel first came to the Jews, but to the, also to the Greek or for, for, for non-Jewish people. See, the gospel isn't just for, it's not just for white people. It's, it's for, for, for black people, it's for Asian people, it's for Hispanic people, it's for all people. That, that I think most of us here, very few of us, I don't know if you've ever done one of those 23andMe tests and found out that you're part Jewish. I'm not, okay? I'm a Gentile. I'm an outsider. But the gospel makes me an insider. That the gospel had the power to save me and is still saving me and will save me. And, and the, the gospel has the power to save all people. And so, uh, so uh, Romans 1.16. And the other verse I want to share with you, and we looked at this briefly last week, and I want to do a short review because I think it's very important for where we're going. 
First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, revere, honor. Okay? Uh, to revere, to honor, to respect. In your hearts, revere, honor, respect. Christ is Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The, the question that, that, that what Paul is telling us here, that, that there are four principles that I see in, in this, this verse. And if I can get this, the next slide up here, Mary. The next slide. There are four principles that we see in this verse that we kind of touched on last week. I talked with our men's group about it a little bit on Thursday night. But, but we see here, 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And in this verse, what we see is we see, we see four principles. The first principle is the principle of submission. Is that, that if we are going to have an impact in the lives of other people, we have to be submitted to God. Okay? We have to revere or respect Christ as Lord. Secondly, the principle of preparation. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's the reason last week I gave you a worksheet on how to prepare your hope story. Simply, you know, what was your life like before you met Christ? How did you meet Christ? What's your life like as a result of meeting Christ? I also gave you a testing testimony. If you became a Christian when you were real young, sometimes the, the testing testimony works better for people. Okay? But the principle of preparation, just taking time to write it out. Second, or third, uh, the, the principle of simplicity. Uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Does that tell you that you need to be ready to preach a sermon? No. Does that tell you that you need to be able to answer every question that an unbeliever might ask you about the Bible or God? No. You only have to answer one question. The reason for the hope that you have. And by simply following that little, uh, that, that little hope story testimony worksheet, you can write that out, a hundred words or less, and you are pretty much ready to go. You just go through it a couple of times, and, and it, fascinating, cool story, cool story. I ran into Noreen, I think it was on Tuesday this week, over at Starbucks, and she had rewritten her hope story on Saturday, not knowing that I was going to preach on that. Just It's close to her birthday, and she was kind of reflective, and she was rewriting her hope story. Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, one of her workers asked her, and she had the opportunity to share her hope story. See, that's what happens when you take the time to prepare. When you take the time to prepare, last year the same thing happened with Chriselle. When you take the time to prepare, God will drop opportunities in your lap. It's really about taking 15 minutes. That's, that is the difference between being ready and not being ready. And that's the difference between opportunity coming to you and opportunity not coming to you. It's just taking the time to be ready. The principle of simplicity. Not trying to argue anybody into the kingdom of God, but simply being able to share with someone else why you, why you are a follower of Jesus. And then finally, the fourth principle is the principle of respect. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know what? I shared with the guys on, on, on Thursday night in our men's group. I said, you know, I, I'm a salesman. When I was a kid, I could sell anything. I mean, I could. I, I just, I was a little bit of a salesman and, uh, and a little bit pushy, you know, and some people might say I still am, and a little bit forceful. 
But sometimes I would try to bully people into the kingdom of God. I would. If someone gave me an objection, I would try to make them feel stupid. Okay? You can't make people feel stupid until they want to follow Jesus. Well, you can, but it simply doesn't work. All right? Is it God's not wanting us to be bullies. He's wanting us to be respectful. He's wanting us to be respectful. Okay? So today what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit more about how to be ready. And uh, what we want to do is, is what I want to do in the time that we have right now is I want to give you three tools, three tools that I think can help you be a better understand evangelism and how to effectively lead people to Christ. Uh, and, and, and then finally what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of a, 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 a definition for successful witnessing. First tool, tool I want to tell you about is something uh, that's called the Engel Scale, okay? The Engel Scale of Evangelism. And I read this book, I don't remember, it was probably back in the 80s. I think it was actually written in the 70s by a guy named James Engel and another guy. I don't remember the other guy's name. And uh, the name of the book is called What's Going Wrong at the Harvest? And there were a lot of things they talked about in the book, but there was one thing that I thought was very, very helpful. Very helpful. And it's this Engel scale. And I'm going to give it to you in my version of it, the, 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 the improved Ronsoval version of the Engel scale. Okay, uh, we have a, a, a scale here, okay? And on this scale over here, we have a minus 10, all right? A minus 10. And over here on this end of the scale, we have a plus 10. We have a plus 10. And, and then right in the middle at uh, zero point, okay, we'll just call this, this is where people cross the line of faith. Now, when you encounter people in our world today, you may encounter some people over here who are completely disinterested. They're a minus 10. They have no interest whatsoever in knowing anything about Jesus. They just, they're they're not interested. They're not interested. They really don't want you to volunteer any of your ideas or opinions. They would prefer you keep your ideas and your opinions to yourself. Okay? There are some people who are like that. And, and then there are some people who, moving this direction, are more and more receptive. Okay? And they may have more and more understanding of the gospel. Then down here, we have the plus 10. And this is basically the Apostle Paul on steroids. All right? Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is the guy... This is the gal who, I mean, they have memorized the entire Bible. They have. They have, and they have, they've, they've memorized it in the NIV, the ESV, the New Living Translation, and the New American Standard Bible. I mean, they've got it all memorized. They don't just give 10% of their income and worship. They give a million percent. I don't know how they do it, but they do. All right? And they are, you know, every week they're leading someone else to Jesus and, and, and they are leading 16 Bible studies on Monday. And that doesn't count the other 175. The West. They, this is like the Apostle Paul on steroids. The truth is, is that all of, us, all of us are moving towards not becoming like Paul on steroids, but hopefully we're moving towards becoming like Jesus. All right? It's not Paul that we're supposed to become like. Although there is a sense in which Paul does say, 
you know, that, that follow me. But he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. But we want to become more and more like Jesus. And what we want to do is, is we want to know kind of where people are at. Okay? We want to know where they're at uh, with regards to the line of faith. Are they to the left? If they're to the left, how far to the left are they? Does this make sense for you? Okay, so the question I have, is that true? Is that, um, you know, is this something that we see reflected in the Scriptures? Do we see somewhere in the Scriptures where we see kind of this, this idea of, of um, people kind of being on a scale? And I'm, I'm missing something here somewhere. Um, okay, this is what I'm missing. This is what I'm missing. I need to make a statement. I need to make a statement. The statement, the, the statement, what I need to communicate is that rather than thinking of evangelism, okay, and rather than thinking of, an, of evangelism is taking someone who's a negative one to cross the line of faith, okay, instead of thinking of evangelism, instead of thinking of witnessing, is taking a person from a minus one to zero we should think of evangelism, instead of thinking of it as a single conversation that happens in 15 or 20 minutes, thinking of it as a series of encounters, a series of conversations that involves dozens, perhaps hundreds of people, and you're only one person. You follow what I'm saying here? Is that when one person becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus, in my life, in my life, there were a few, not a thousand, not dozens, but there were a few. There were a few people in my church as a boy. There was a man speaking on TV that I think was Billy Graham who preached the gospel. And then that night after I heard the gospel, I remember just uh, I started crying. My mom asked me what was wrong. And I said, well, I don't want to go to hell. You know, I understood that I was a sinner. I understood that hell was real. And I understood that my sin separated me from God. And that I, I died without Jesus. I knew that I would spend eternity separated from God. And so my mom, she was the one who led me to cross the line of faith. Okay? But before my mom shared the gospel with me, there were other people who had been having an impact in my life. This is what's happening in your life, and you don't even recognize it. Maybe sometimes you do, but a lot of times you don't. A lot of times, God is using you in ways that you may not recognize or understand. It may be simply in the way that you treat a person. You treat a person with respect, even when you might feel a little bit irritated. Maybe the person wasn't respectful with you, but you choose to be respectful with them. And they think about it, and later, they feel bad about it, and they look and they think, you know, there's something in, you know, there's something in Steve. You know, there's something in Carmine or Belinda. There's something in Noreen. There's something in, in different people that, that, you know, in that moment, you may feel a source of irritation with them. But it's how you respond and how you react becomes a difference maker for them. They come one step closer to Jesus because of that. Are you with me? So, do we see this reflected in the Scriptures? The Bible tells us in John chapter 4, and let me give you a little bit of background for this text. Jesus is talking with his disciples. Uh, he's talking with his disciples about the harvest of souls. He's talking with his disciples about evangelism. And in the context of talking with them about this, Jesus says this. He says, don't you have a saying? 
It's still four months until the harvest. And then Paul says this, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. At this time, Jesus had just spoken with a woman, the Samaritan woman, at the well. And she had gone back to her village, Sychar, and she was telling the people about Jesus. And she was saying, could he be the Messiah? And what we know when you read through the Gospel of John is all these people from Sychar were coming out to meet Jesus. And it says that they believed in him, first because of what the woman said, but later because of what Jesus said. And so Jesus is talking with them, uh, his disciples, about this harvest of sows. He says, even now, he says, I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest, meaning that probably in that moment, the Samaritans were actually walking up to them. That's probably what was happening here. He says, uh, in, in verse 36, even now, the one who reaps, who's the reaper? It's the one who brings them across that line of faith. Okay, And what Jesus says, he says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower, all these people who have been sowing and making investments, all these people who have been sowing and making investments up to this point, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad, may rejoice together. Thus saying, the one who one sows and another reaps is true. And then verse 38, Paul says, or Jesus says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Folks, the hard work is this continual sowing. We may do, we may do, a dozen pumpkin festivals, fall festivals. We may do a dozen egg hunts. We may do Week of Hope a dozen times. But every time we're planting a seed, and one day, one day, people are going to cross the line of faith. We may or may not be there to see it happen, but people are going to come to know Jesus. And you know what? You were a part of it. God was using you. God was working through you through all of that. And one day, that person is going to be in heaven because of your investment. This is called the Engel scale. Let me show you a second scale, a second tool. Okay? And, and if here we're talking about, you know, we're talking about people or maybe a negative 10, negative 9, negative 8, you know, how do you figure out where a person's at and how you're supposed to invest in that person? So this is another scale, and this one was invented by, it was invented by me, okay? You have to be careful about having a high opinion of your opinions. So, but I do think it's helpful, at least it's helpful for me, okay? So this is a scale, you have an X axis here, and you have a Y axis here, and uh, in, in what you have here is the x-axis represents trust. Okay? Represents trust. So, in life, typically, we have a measure of trust in people. Some people may not be as big of level of trust because they haven't shown that they're trustworthy yet. Other people, we have a lot more trust in them. Why? Because we've seen consistency in their lives. We've seen in them something that says, I can trust this person. All right? 
So we've got the trust, but down here we have uh, interest. An interest in the gospel. Now the truth is, some people, they have zero interest. And they may not trust you at all. So what's your role and your responsibility in the life of a person who trusts you, who, who doesn't trust you at all, and who has zero interest in the gospel? Just be kind. Just be kind. Uh, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Just, just show kindness to them. Just be a light through gracious words and gracious uh, works. Okay? But then some person, they're way down here in interest. And you know what? They have a lot of respect in you. They do. You know? And, and so right here, when you're right there with a person, when a person is saying, what must I do to be saved? And they're looking to you. So there's high trust and there's high interest. This is where you want to be ready uh, to, to, to help that person. I call it the, the Wawa scale, okay? Because it's goofy. Uh, and I like goofy, but the Wawa scale. And what Wawa stands for is the uh, Wawa, W-A-W-A, where are we at? Okay? You know, where are we at? Do, do they trust me or do they not trust me? Are they interested or are they not interested? Knowing where I'm at in relationship with this person with regards to trust and knowing where they're at with regards to interest helps me to be more effective in knowing what I should do and knowing what I shouldn't do. Does that make sense for you? So third tool is this. Third tool is this. Let's pretend our friend, Fred, remember Fred and Wilma? Let's pretend like Fred and Wilma say, Gary, um, you know, uh, we have seen in you, we've seen in joy that you guys have a peace in your life that we really want in our lives. We've seen in you that you have... uh, a joy in your relationship with Jesus, even though life sometimes is hard and difficult, we have seen in you a joy in Jesus that, that for us is we want what you have. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And, 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 and that's where let's just pretend like you know we're sitting at our kitchen table, joy, me, Fred, Wilma, and, and we're drinking coffee together. And, and so I say, that's a great question. And so I pull out a sheet of paper. And on the sheet of paper, I just write out one single verse. Okay? So what I'm going to encourage you to do is memorize this, this verse. Okay? For the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But, okay, you're asking this question. You're asking this question. What must I do to be saved? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our Lord. Romans 6.23. Okay? 
So, Fred, Wilma, let's just pretend like these people right here, uh, this, is, this is Fred and Wilma, and this is Gary and Joy. Notice how Fred and Wilma are taller than, than Gary and Joy. Um, so, you know, um, let's just kind of look at this. This represents us, and, and, and let's look at what this verse says to us. Our first word I want you to pay attention to is this word wages. Okay, let me just write that down here. Wages. What are wages? And so I ask Fred, I ask Wilma, what are wages? And Fred says, well, your wage, that's kind of like your paycheck. It's what you earn. And I say, exactly, exactly. It's your paycheck. It's, it's what you earn, okay? It's what you deserve, all right? It's what you deserve. When you are working at a job and you get a wage, it's what you deserve. It's what you earn. And, and what the Bible says is it says the wages of sin, that's the next word, sin. What's that word, sin? What does that mean? And so I'm asking Fred, I'm asking Wilma, what sin is, and, and, and Wilma says, well, I mean, I, I think it means like when you do bad things. When you do bad things. And I, I would say, yeah, yeah, okay, it could be bad things. And, and then maybe Fred says, well, I mean, it can also mean that you know something's right, you know something's good, but you don't do it. You're not doing good things. And I'd say, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that when we do things we know we shouldn't do, or when we don't do something we know we should do, then that's what the Bible calls sin. Have either one of you guys ever sinned before? And Fred says, yeah, yeah, a few times, a couple, a couple. Wilma says a few more than a couple for Fred. Um, and I say, okay, so the way, what the Bible tells us is the wages of sin, the paycheck, this is the paycheck you do not want to cash, by the way, uh, the paycheck of sin is what right here? It's death, okay? And when the Bible talks about death, uh, depending on the text, when the Bible talks about death, it's not simply talking about physical death or the absence of the soul from the body, but sometimes in the way it's talked about here in the book of Romans, it's talking about spiritual death or separation, spiritual separation between us and God. So let's say right here we got us on the edge of this cliff, and right here is a huge abyss. And over here, we have God. And what we have here is we have separation from God. We have separation from God. See, there's another word here, and that word is but. And, and that word but tells us that what comes before and what comes after, that what comes after is different from what comes before. It's a word of contrast. See, right here, we had the bad news. The bad news before the good news. But here, we have the good news. That gift is the next word. What is a gift? Okay? What is a gift, and how is a gift different from a wage? And so, Fred, already becoming a Bible scholar, says, well, I mean, a wage is something you earn... But a gift is something that you receive. It's something that, that you don't necessarily deserve it, but the one who gives it to you uh, gives it to you freely, not because of something you've done to obligate them. Okay, so God, 
the, the next word here we have is, is God. And this gift is from God. See, see, salvation is not something that we can earn. It's not something that we earn through our good works. Because we have a problem with sin, which means bad works are not doing the good works. The only way we could earn salvation is if we were perfectly obedient in every single thing we've ever done in our entirety of our lives. See, God is holy. God is holy, which means he's perfect. And being a pretty good guy isn't the same thing as being holy. You understand what I'm saying? So, Fred, you're a pretty good guy. You're a much better guy than I am, but you're not perfect. And the only way we can earn our way to heaven is if we were holy as God is holy. And God can only have fellowship with who and what is holy. He can't be in fellowship with what is unholy or who is unholy. And so because of God's love for us, this holy God, he has given us a gift. He's given us a gift. And this gift is what? Eternal life. Okay? Eternal life. So God has given us a gift. The, the bad news is the wages of sin is death, but the good news is the, the, the gift of God is eternal life. But this gift doesn't just come to us any way that we imagine. It comes to us through a person. It comes to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay? Jesus Christ... Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the way we go from here to here is simply by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior by faith. By faith. Not by works, but by faith. Fred, Wilma, has there ever been a time in your life where you have called out to God called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and asked him to be your Lord and to be your Savior, to forgive your sin, to give you eternal life, to make you the kind of person that you want to be. Pause. Stop. I'm not talking about Fred and Wilma. Right now, I'm talking to you. I'm not asking you, are you a good person? I am not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you how wonderful your parents are and that your grandfather was a a Pentecostal preacher or that your mom was a Sunday school teacher. I'm not asking you about any, any of that. I'm asking you right now, have you ever, by faith, called on the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you, have you taken communion? I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I am asking you, have you by faith, ask Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to take away your sin, to give you the free gift of eternal life, to make you the kind of person that he wants you to be. And if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do it today. Okay? I'm not talking to Fred and Woman. I'm talking to you. Because I know that when I share this, for some of you, a light bulb may have just come on. You may have heard the gospel, maybe you've heard it many times, but you heard it in a fresh way today. And you understand you've been going to church for years. And you've been trusting in being a good person. But now you know you need something better 
someone better to trust in than you being a good person. You need to trust in the one and only Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going off script here because more important than finishing the script is dealing with people, you, and where you're at in relationship with God. And today, if you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now, looking at me, eyes open, but I want you to say this prayer right now. I want you to say it silently to God, to yourself, but I want you to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I ask you to come into my life and forgive my sins. I ask you uh, to, to give me the gift of eternal life. And I ask you to make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you did that today, God did a miracle in your life. You, you, you know, the roof wasn't ripped off. I don't see a bunch of angels singing the hallelujah chorus. But a miracle happened today. And that miracle is that you were saved. You were saved. God saved you today. For the rest of eternity, you will be with God forever. You may mess up in big ways in the future. In fact, count on it. You will. None of us follow Jesus faultlessly. I don't. I haven't. My wife does. But what I'm telling you is that God did a miracle of grace in your life. By sharing this with you today, what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you how simple it can be to share the gospel with another person. I messed up today. I was supposed to tell you that you had a three-by-five card where you could write this out. Okay? Um, Write this on the card. Write this on the the card. One-verse evangelism. And and go on YouTube and look that up. One-verse evangelism. And there are a lot of different people who put together little uh, presentations that they put on YouTube that are similar to what I've showed you today. But, But what I want to encourage you to do is, is simply memorize this verse. Memorize this verse. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to, uh, is to role play. Better to do it with another person, but if you can't get another person, do it by yourself. But just do this two, three, four times. It's just pretend like you're talking to Fred and Wilma. You know, just pretend like they're not asking you lots of hard questions. If people ask you hard questions, just say, well, that's a great question. I, I'm really not sure I know how to answer that. And, uh, you know, let me think about it, maybe get back to you. You don't have to be able to answer everybody's questions. You just have to be able to share with people the reason for your hope. Does does that make sense? All right. So let's talk about uh, what is successful witnessing real quick, and we'll we'll close this off, okay? Successful witnessing, uh, we talked about this on, on, on Thursday night. One of our guys, you know, we were talking about, have you ever had an opportunity to share your testimony, your hope story with another person? And, and, you know, several of the guys were talking about their experiences, and, and, and one of us made this comment, yeah, I've done it, but without much success, meaning that I've never seen someone cross the line of faith. This is what I want to say to you today. Successful witnessing isn't getting a person to cross the line of faith. That's not your job, okay? That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job. Our job is, successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. 
That means that whether a person makes a decision that they want to follow Jesus or they walk away, that's not on you. You can't make anybody do something they don't want to do. But what you can do is be ready to share with a reason, uh, to share with a, with a person the reason for your hope. Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." The Bible says, "But in your hearts, revere, respect, honor Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you." to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Um, your homework uh, over the next couple of days, and, and I would encourage you to do it today. Just sit down three times, role play by yourself, or with another person if you can get them to do it, going through the bridge. Okay? If it feels awkward, that's okay. That's why you're role playing. And you do it two or three times, and after the third time or the fourth time, it gets to where it's less and less awkward. And that's how you get, that's how you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself, you know, you don't prepare for a marathon by showing up on the day of the race and saying, I'm going to run a marathon today. My sister does that. Uh, but but what, what, what you do is you train, you practice, and that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Let's pray. God, today what we want to do is, is we want to be faithful witnesses for you. We are so grateful, uh, so grateful that... Uh, that even though the wages of sin is death, that the free gift that you give us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, thank you, God, for saving us. And, uh, Lord, help us to learn how to, to love people in this community, to serve people in this community, and to be powerful witnesses for you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.